I have an addictive personality. It can be a problem. Thankfully, I manage to channel it in things that aren't, on their own, terrible for you. In particular, video games. Not the kind you play on your own, but the co-ops and the multiplayers and the MMOs. The social stuff. It's how I make friends. I'm not very good at them, but that's part of the fun. While I play pretty much anything as long as I can do it with a crew, my favorites are in the horror genre. I played Left 4 Dead and its sequel to Absolute Death, tried my hand at just about every crappy Slenderman title, and scoured Steam for all the hidden horror gems I could force my pals to play with me. They were always good sports about it. Mostly. Until recently. I came across a game with a pretty simple concept. You play a ghost hunter going into houses to try and discover what's haunting them. I don't want to say the name, but if you play, you'll probably know it. It sounded right up my alley, so I bought copies for a few of my friends and we played a few rounds. It was a lot of waiting, a lot of repetitive questions, and room wandering, hoping for a sign from beyond. They got bored fairly quickly, said that it was too slow. But I was hooked. Suddenly, all I wanted to do was play this stupid simple game that should have stopped being scary after the first couple of runs, and if they weren't going to play with me, I had to find people who would. People who were as obsessed with it as I was. I found one on Twitter. He went by Blink and responded to a post I made about needing folks to co-op with. He seemed nice enough, so we added each other, and a few days later played our first game together. It lasted four hours. I hardly noticed how much time I'd sunk into it. I'd have kept going if Blink across the ocean and hours ahead of me didn't say he needed to go to bed. I logged out too after realizing I neglected pretty much everything I actually needed to get done in favor of playing. Blink was back on the next day, and when I got his invite to join him in-game, I immediately joined him, housework be damned. He picked a farmhouse map, one I hated and loved for its creepy atmosphere, and we gathered up our equipment to begin the hunt. We set up cameras, dropped crucifixes, burned smudge sticks, and every few minutes, one of us would call out for a sign or ask the ghost to appear. Carla Roberts, are you here? Can you turn on a light? Hey, baby. Show us your boobs. It went quickly, same with the next round, and the next, and the next, until another half day was gone. It probably would have been fine if we'd left it at that, a couple days spent playing with the shiny new toy and then moving on, but Blink had the same kind of addictive behavior as I did, and we kept going back for more. Spirit, are you here? Give us a sign. Come on, ghosty, show yourself. The in-game lights would flicker. The hunters became the hunted. We'd giggle and hide or die, then run away. Over and over and over again. It continued every day for a few weeks. My other friends made fun of me for how deeply immersed I'd become in the game, but I didn't care. Blink and I were having fun. It was only supposed to be fun. We started another game as usual. He was carrying an equipment while I swept the rooms with an EMF reader, trying to locate where the ghost was. It was being particularly stubborn, not setting off the reader or lowering the temperatures. When Blink joined me inside, I finally said, Elizabeth Gates, are you here? 
an all-too-real crash from the kitchen behind me, almost sent me jumping out of my skin with a scream. I spun in my chair, accidentally pulling my headset from the PC tower as I did and faced the kitchen door. Steering into the darkened room made me really regret my habit of playing with the lights off. It was still and quiet again. But it still took me a long moment to convince myself to get up. And longer, still, to actually run for the light switch. A glass I'd left drying on the counter was spread in pieces across the linoleum floor. My heart thudded noisily in my ears as I gazed down at the shards, mind racing at how it had gone over the edge. A short-lived mystery went when my cat goggles mewed from his hiding spot atop the fridge. I couldn't help laughing as I scolded him, feeling relieved and stupid for being relieved at the same time. Of course, it had just been goggles. I swept up his mess and hurried back to my computer to apologize to Blink for my disappearance. He mocked the high-pitched yelp I made before going silent, and I told him he was a jackass, and we continued. Give us a sign. I'm calling upon you, spirit. Are you here? Do something, ghost. After we finally wrapped up, I shut down my computer and trugged to my bathroom to get ready for bed. Goggles. The cup holding my makeup brushes had been knocked over, spilling them across the counter. My toothbrush was on the floor, along with my bath towel and comb. I grumbled as I picked up my things, assuming he'd be in hot pursuit of a fly, and got ready for bed. Goggles was curled up in a tiny ball on my pillow when I got out, all tuckered out from a destructive evening. The next night found me right back in front of my computer, ghost hunting once again with Blink. We were creeping through a high school following the distant ringing of a phone from room to room. Come on, you ghosty bitch, I muttered, to ease my nerves. Where are you? The door creaked in my apartment. I brushed it off, assuming Goggles was on the move, and focused on the game. Blink was taunting the ghost, asking it to touch his butt if it was in the room with us. I laughed and told it to come find us, that we were waiting. And then... Something thudded heavily from the hallway, leading to my bedroom. I straightened in my seat, telling Blink to be quiet, and pushed my headset back to listen intently. My ears rang with the hush of my apartment. My cat again, I decided at last, and we laughed off my game-induced twitchiness. But as soon as I called for the ghost again, I heard it. Another thump. This one slightly closer. Hold on. I removed my headset completely that time and leaned back to peer down the short hallway where the doors to two bedrooms and bathrooms stood open. The glare from my monitor hardly reached around the corner which only made it seem that much darker. There was no sign of goggles. I turned back to my computer with a shake of my head, scoffing at myself. Thump. 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 Footsteps. Hard and heavy, erupted from the end of my hall, stomping quickly toward me. I shrieked and leapt from my desk lamp, switching it on just as the steps were about to reach the living room where I was gaming. They stopped as abruptly as they'd begun. Goggles mewled pathetically from the kitchen, crying for me to come get him as he always did when he was scared. I ran to find him tucked safely on the fridge again, and 
It took a lot of coaxing from a chair to get him to come to me. I held him close, trying to make sense of what I'd just heard while stroking his fur. Eventually, after I could breathe again and Goggles' whines had turned to purrs, I settled on it having been my upstairs neighbor tromping around. It was the simple answer, and one that I could deal with. As long as I didn't think about how I'd felt the floor shaking beneath my feet with each step, it made sense. I told Blink I had to go and logged off. When I could finally bring myself to go down the hallway for bed, it was with every light in the apartment still on. Daytime makes it easier to shrug off any scares from the night before. With the sun shining through the front windows, I could make myself believe it had really just been loud neighbors, compounded by already frazzled nerves. So, assured, I went to take a shower. The water warmed quickly and I threw my towel over the glass partition before undressing. I slid open the door and stepped in, fingers lingering on its edge to close it again behind me. As I started to pull it, the door flew forward, slamming my fingertips between it and the metal frame. I screamed, yanked my hand free, cradling it in my chest. Blood was already pulling beneath my first two nails in dark circles and red swelling had begun. I shut off the water and leapt from the shower, dripping freely on the floor and fished through my medicine cabinet for band-aids. After I wrapped my fingers, I clutched the counter's edge with my uninjured hand, breathing ragged with fear and pain, and it was only then I noticed the mirror. In the fog left from the shower's heat, two words had been scrawled. I'm here. I stumbled backward out of the bathroom, slamming the door, but as soon as I released its handle, it started to turn again of its own accord. From inside the bathroom, a deep voice began to hum. There was no thinking, no coming up with excuses, only the desperate need to hide. I threw myself to the floor and scrambled hurriedly beneath my bed where I lay on my stomach with both hands pressed over my mouth. The door creaked open, and those same heavy steps emerged, each one slow and deliberate, but there was no foot to match them to. No person at all. I slithered back as far as I could to get away from the sound, erratic breathing muffled but threatening to turn to a scream. The thumping paused beside my bed. A screeching yowl filled the room, drowning out the humming. I caught sight of Goggles' paws in the bedroom doorway, swiping at empty air. He made that terrible noise again and darted off, and after him, as if running, went the steps. No! I couldn't stop myself from shouting and hauled myself out into the open. The apartment seemed alive with breaking glass and the scrape of sliding furniture across the floor. Still naked and with my hurt hand held to my chest, I skid into the hall. All activity suddenly stopped. There was a knock on the front door. My neighbor wasn't thrilled when I launched myself at her screaming about my cat and a ghost. She only got me back inside with promises that it just had to be long enough to dress and find goggles. While she searched, I grabbed whatever clothes I found first and threw them on, adding a few more to a suitcase before joining her. We discovered Goggles had wedged himself between the wall and the end of the bed in the guest room. It was such a tight spot we had to pull the bed away to grab him. 
I gave him a hasty examination, determined he was traumatized but fine, and placed him into his car carrier. My neighbor asked me what had happened. Why were my dishes all over and my tables overturned? Was I okay? I ushered her out, cat and suitcase in tow, and told her quite truly, no. Blink didn't believe me when I logged onto Steam from my phone in a hotel later that night. He said I was fucking with him. My only response was to just delete the game. I did. I knew I'd never play it again or go back to my apartment. I offered to pay for a priest or a rabbi or whatever to bless it and broke my lease. Staying wasn't an option. It was only supposed to be a game, calling to spirits, taunting them into action. I realize now, though, that those kinds of investigations shouldn't be spoken lightly. You never know what you're calling to. I realize now the game wasn't the only thing listening. It's such a simple thing. You go out to the desert. The directions aren't great and you expect to get lost because A. It's the desert and B. It's the middle of the night. All in all, it's a bad idea, and you know that, but it's also the night before Halloween, and the idea of some kind of weird Burning Man rave out in the black sounds thrilling in just the right way. And to your surprise, you find it very easily. Every time there's a fork, you take the right one. When you have to guess if they meant this particular tree or cactus or cluster of rock, you feel it in your gut before you turn the wheel. And when you round the last corner into the small canyon and see the flickering glow of a half dozen bonfires, you don't feel relief so much as an electric shiver of satisfaction. The girl that invited you out here materializes out of the shadows as soon as you leave your car. Just like the day before, she's all smiles and flirtations, and that is exciting in its own right, but now it's secondary to what you're feeling as you walk closer to the light. This is more than just a desert party, isn't it? It has a party vibe, but at the same time, it seems different, too. The clusters of people dancing and singing, eating and smoking, and even crying and fucking in the darker edges of the makeshift camp, they all seem connected somehow, moving with the same rhythm, pulsing along the same thrumming beat of some old desert heart. The girl is leading you to the inner circle, and now you can feel that this is an inner circle in more ways than one. The space is lit by a small bonfire, and near it is a small, shabby wicker chair. In that chair is a silver knife. She takes you down to the chair. She hands you the knife, and she tells you to sit down. You don't ever consider refusing. Not because you're brainwashed or hypnotized or even scared, but because there is simply nothing else in this world that you've ever done or thought of doing that is more right than the series of motions and breaths and longings that make up your existence at that very moment. You have the odd thought that if she tried to stop you, if she suddenly tried to take away this thing you've been searching for your entire life, you'd slit her throat 
and continue on by instinct alone. But nothing like that is needed. She's happy to help, to instruct. She tells you that in a moment, a calling will begin. It won't require anything from you except your participation and acceptance of what will be, come what may. The thing that is coming is from very far away, she whispers, the waxy lipstick she wears ghosting against her ear as she squeezes your leg. It will take time and intention for it to arrive. For the most part, all you have to do is wait for its arrival, but every seven minutes it will cry out, and when it does, you must answer. When the calling is complete, your new life will begin. She doesn't ask if you are ready. There's no chance to facilitate or reconsider, though you wouldn't if you could. Everything you are and ever wanted to be have been heading toward this moment of beautiful collision. There's no room for doubt. Suddenly, she's gone. The other fires? Gone. The partygoers? Gone. You are alone. The warm crackle of the fire at your back and your own long shadow dancing out to the light's edge. Beyond that, everything is a silvery darkness spun from the dreaming suggestions of the bone-white desert moon up above. A landscape full of nothing and everything that goes on forever, stretching into some distant void you have never known but always known was there. And something is crawling towards you out of that void. The dirt stirs at the edge of the firelight. At first, it could simply be an idle wind stirring a handful of dust, but as the minutes crawl by, it takes on a regularity and force that implies something unseen moving toward you. You squint into the dark, trying to make it out, when a small voice whispers in your own inner darkness. What do you want? You answer, and the dirt grows thicker as it rises and falls. You can almost see the outline of something now, though what you're seeing doesn't make much sense. It draws closer, flailing, crawling, struggling to reach you. You feel sympathy and excitement, but you keep your seat. You are the destination, not the journey. You are the axle, not the midwife. Who are you? You answer again without hesitation or lack of clarity. Any time before, you would have pondered the question, overanalyzed it, wondered what was meant by the asking and what version of telling would garner the best impression or response. But not now. This wasn't the time for pretense or self-deception. This was the time of fire and dust and dark and the true elements of creation. You speak the truth and nearly weep at hearing your own truth spoken so succinctly. The thing has meat to it now, meat and blood and breath that puffs out as it scrapes across the patch of a hard pan and draws close to your feet. When it reaches out and grasps your legs, you don't feel fear or even pain. Its ragged nails bite through your pants as it pulls itself up your shins, your thighs, and rests its growing mass upon your lap. You feel your jeans soaking through, perhaps with blood or some of the other fluids it's now dripping as it finishes the balanalities of becoming flesh. Its eyes are fully formed 
as it meets your gaze, socketed in a face you easily recognize. It's your own. You start to speak a gasping breath of greeting or confusion, but it's too late for any of that. It's on you now, kissing you deeply, passionately, even as it cradles you in its strengthening limbs and crushes you with a density that seems like you're being held in the grip of a dying star. You have a moment, just a single moment of pure, true terror. And then... It's gone. The creature, that shadow you, has vanished. The remaining bonfire, gone. The chair that held you moments before, gone. All that is left is that silvery moonlight and the crisp, almost sharp air that caresses your face and pinpricks your lungs as you fumble in the dirt and the dark back to your car. An hour later, you're back at the edge of town. Stopping at a gas station, you see a group of kids standing near a security light around back, laughing and breaking bottles while dancing around in cheap plastic masks a night early. Too old for trick-or-treating and too young for anything else, they're in a kind of twilight. Though, to them, every night probably feels like both their first and their last. For you, everything seems old and new. You feel muddled and yet sharp, queasy but ravenous. You debate getting snacks or water from inside the store, but instead you walk toward the kids. They eye you warily as you approach from the darkness, and perhaps to get the upper hand, they ask the first question. What do you want? You're standing in the light now, your shadow dripping thickly from your back as you smile at them silently. Who are you? It's a fair question. So you show them. Your shadow rushes forward, attacking their own before the children can react. The effect is almost immediate. Their shadows try to survive the only way they know how, by consuming their hosts. Within seconds, the children become shuddering, desiccated corpses, being absorbed by their dark twins, even as those shadows are being eaten by your own. None of this makes sense, of course. Shadows are just places that light doesn't reach. They aren't alive or hungry. They don't eat each other or things they mimic. And yet now they do. And in the eating, your shadow grows stronger. You grow stronger. Stronger and ready for the next step, the next evolution. You hear your shirt buttons begin to pop as your body widens. Wrinkling your nose, you sneeze as tufts of hair drift down your face. Your transformation isn't painful, not exactly, but you're still relieved when it's over. You're half-naked now, your clothing ill-fitting and torn after you lost a foot of height and gained a foot of width. It's a minor inconvenience, easily fixed with a brick through the window of a nearby hunting goods store. By the time the police arrive, you're already dressed and gone into the night. Gone to a house you've never seen before, but yet you somehow know. You know the house and who lives there. 
more importantly, which room belongs to the little girl. You're silent as you enter the room, silent as the shadow you no longer have. It's inside you now, only visible through pinpricks of dark on your stark white skin. It's through these that it sees and hears and speaks, telling you what must be done and giving you what you need to do it. There's a startled breath from the bed as the girl wakes up to see you standing there. Anger begins to fill you, even as a small cudgel wrapped in leather appears in your palm. Just the right size to hurt, but not kill. Bruise, but not break. Stepping forward, you grab the girl's arm before she can recoil or even scream, yanking her to the ground and beating the breath from her. The beating is over quickly. She's small and can only take a little. As she grows older, her capacity for pain will grow as well. For now, though, this is enough. She's shaking and crying and terrified. Yes, this is enough. Leaning over her, you whisper a single phrase before disappearing back into the void. See you next October. <laughs>